What does it mean to be a Christian? I suspect that if you ask that question of enough people, you're going to find a whole variety of answers. I think that um, as we ponder that question, one of the things that comes to my mind is this passage that we just read. Jesus says, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Everything's wrapped up in that. John Wesley was asked what it means to be a Methodist. And by that, he said, if you want to know what it means to be a Methodist, what it means to, to engage in this movement that, that he started, um, this being what he talked about being holiness and all of those things, those dynamics of that, he came back to this passage and said, Love the Lord your God, from your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself. And as we've been talking about, uh, starting to talk about tensions of our faith, it seems to me that Jesus' answer presents us with an interesting tension. You know, when God created the world, he said to Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for that one tree. And the minute God said that, he created a world with tension. It's a world that that demands now faith. It demands trust. It demands a response. Because God wants intimacy with us. He wants a relationship, a real relationship of love. And the only way you can have a real relationship of love is to have risk and tension that calls for faith and trust. And when Jesus is asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? It's intriguing to me that he, the first part of his answer is, love the Lord your God with your heart and with your mind. And it seems to me that one of the great tensions of the church through the centuries, and we're still wrestling with it, is this idea of loving God with our hearts and our minds. Now, on the one hand, you have the whole idea of reason, of thinking, of knowing. And, and when we talk about knowing, we look at the scriptures and we see God knows all things. Jesus knows, scripture says. He understands And its knowledge is rooted in the scriptures. So when the tempter comes to Jesus, every answer Jesus gives is the scripture. Jesus says in in Matthew 13, that to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. Jesus later in John's gospel says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is this sense in knowing that is so vital to being a follower of Christ, to being God's people, because he's always teaching us to know and to learn and to develop our minds. And it is a great gift God has given us. And it's, off, it's rooted in the scriptures. And so when you come to, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul says to his son in the faith, but you are to remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. It's through the Scriptures that you're led to salvation. 
All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Scriptures are what we need to know in order to know God. And he goes on in chapter 4 and says, For times coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. Look to teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They reject the truth and chase after myths. There is such a vital need to know God. To keep learning about God. And the minds that God has given us are a gift from God. And we ought to... We ought to be developing our minds and learning the deeper things of who God is and what the Scripture is telling us. I always find it fascinating that the people who seem to know the Scriptures the most keep finding new things in the Scriptures as they study them. Because you never get to the end of knowing God. But there is another side to what Jesus says. It's not just knowledge it's, and reason. It's also emotion, experience, feeling. I'm, I've been intrigued for a long time, and when you read the Old Testament, how many times God has described expressing emotion. God is happy. God is pleased. God is angry. You see it over and over and over again. As, as we understand who God is and the nature of God... He expresses emotion. You see it in Jesus. Matthew 9 tells us that when Jesus was, he looked on the crowds and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It wasn't wasn't reason that moved him to compassion. It was seeing their circumstances that moved him to action. It was this this sense in his his heart, in his soul, in his spirit that said, there's a problem here and I need to address it. It was his heart. And Jesus addressed those. You see it over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus feeling compassion. Jesus having joy. Jesus wanting us to, to express emotion as a gift from God. The Apostle Paul is probably one of the most logical thinkers of all the writers of the New Testament. And so it's intriguing when when in the middle of the book of Romans, that might be argued to be one of the more logical treatments of Scripture that we have from the Apostle Paul, in chapter 8, you have this whole section in which Paul talks about our inner spirit and the inner witness of the spirit. And he says to them, you are controlled by the spirit If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. You received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, for his Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. There is this inner witness of our spirits, this this emotion, this moving within us that is difficult to to describe sometimes. It's difficult to pin down sometimes. It's not like things that you learn where where you can just read about them and you get knowledge. It's a a lot more subjective. But, But Paul is saying there is a need for that in our lives. 
It's not enough to just learn about God. We need to experience God in in our inner being. And he gives us the witness of his spirit. And that was such an important thing in John Wesley's teaching and the whole system of Methodism that he created. And the reason for that is because it goes back to his own life. In his mid-30s, Wesley had spent his life being a follower of God, doing everything he could, but he just didn't feel like things were right. He didn't, he didn't think that he would, he would go to heaven. He didn't have this assurance that, that he was a child of God. And he wrestled with that for years upon end. And then he writes in his journal on May 24, 1738, that he went very, very reluctantly to a meeting in which a man was reading from the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And he writes, at about a quarter to nine, while this man was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley knew everything about God. He knew so much about God. And he was grateful for that. And it was an awesome thing that he knew. But he needed that inner work of the Spirit in him too. He needed to experience that. And I think we do too. As I was pondering this, I was thinking about when I about my own life and how I have, have sort of had a different kinds of, of influences on my life. One of them that came to my mind was when I was a young child going to camp meeting. Now, some of you don't know what camp meeting is. Uh, maybe you do, but uh, don't, we don't do a lot with camp meetings like we used to. But, you know, when, when, we, when we went to camp meeting, it was a completely different experience than going to regular church every Sunday. We went to camp meeting in Orleans, Indiana. They had a big tabernacle there. And we had, my family had a cabin on the grounds. There were about 100 cabins on the grounds. And people would gather from all over. And we'd have teachings and stuff during the day. And then at night, we'd have these worship services that would typically last a couple of hours. And, and they were highly emotional. The music was emotional. The, the whole tenor of the service was emotional. The praying was emotional. Everybody, when, we, when the person got up to lead us to pray, like I did this morning, everybody in the place prayed out loud at the same time. It was just a cacophony of sound as people poured out their hearts to God. And the preaching was emotional. It was impassioned preaching. And it was to the heart. And I remember seeing people, I didn't quite understand it as a child, but I remember seeing people running up and down the aisles and waving handkerchiefs and screaming and shouting. And and some people, even what we would call today, spirit. It was a highly emotional experience. And at the end of it, what what the, the, the great question at the end of each night was, Do you have a deeper experience with God? Have you felt God in your spirit? And then I went to seminary. And it was a very different kind of influence on my life. Seminary chapel and the classes were were very, very different. They were all about thinking and reason and learning. 
And, and, and chapel was not nearly like that. It was much more sedate, much more often contemplative. It was, it was things that we were often led to think about. And at the end of the day, at the end of, of my experience as a seminary student, it was, do you know some deep things about God? Do you know God more by what you've learned about him? And what I, I used to think that one was better than the other. I've kind of come to the place in my life that I'm grateful for both of them. Because we need both of them. Now, the experiences may not look like these two things. And I know that we, we, we become fearful of whatever the other side of, of, the, of what we're used to. And it's true. Camp meeting could become very emotional in the sense of being emotionalism. And all people were trying to do sometimes it felt like was just whipping up our emotions. And adding one more experience and, and just living for the next experience and the next experience and the next experience. And that was a problem. Because you don't always have the experience. But on the other end of it, there is a sense in which you, you could become very cold about the nature of relationship with God. And think, just because I know right things means that I know God. And it may not be. Their history is replete with people who have known all kinds of things about God, but have had no relationship with God. And the call that Jesus, Jesus called to us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind is that we need both. I suspect that you have a dominant perspective. Just like you have a dominant hand in how you do things. If you're right-handed, you do most of your things with your right hand and a little bit with your left. If you're left-handed, you do most of your things with your left hand and a little bit with your right. I think Jesus is calling us to be ambidextrous. You both. Maybe think of when I was in grade school and playing on the basketball team. We can line up for, for layups, and I get on the right-handed layup side, I can make it 95% of the time. Man, the left side was killing me. I could not make a left-handed layup. I worked as hard as I could, and I could not make it. Sometimes the ball would barely get to the rim. Sometimes it would hit the rim and bounce to midcourt. Sometimes it would go over the backboard. I'd totally lose it. The coach out there, Odin, what are you doing out there? I said, I don't know. I can't do it. He goes, yeah, I can tell that. No, you're not, not, not a secret to anybody. Well, stop it. Whatever you're doing, stop doing that. And the reality is, if, you wanted, if, you wanted, if I wanted to be a, a, a better basketball player and I wanted to keep moving up and play in high school and maybe college and on to that got to be able to make left-handed layups. I could have been a professional basketball player if I could have just made left-handed layups. It would be a totally different thing in my life. you got to make left-handed layups. It may not be your dominant hand. It might not be what you always go to, but you have to be able to do that. And God is calling us spiritually, to make left-handed layups. Or right-handed, if you're left-handed. Because he wants to do more in us than just have us settle for where we are. We just want to be what's comfortable. And we, we often will say, okay, I'm uncomfortable with that. That challenges me. I don't really want to be challenged. 
thing that I find when I read the, the scriptures from beginning to end is the unchallenged life is not a spiritual discipline. It's not a means of grace. God is continually challenging us because he wants to conform us to the image of Christ and that's going to challenge us every single time. And what God wants from us is to be holistic people. And if all we do is one side or the other, we are out of balance. You know when a washing machine gets out of balance? You know, the clothes get wet and they all get to one side and it's bang, 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 bang. And that's what we become. That's not what it's intended to be. God didn't create us to be out of balance. He created us to be in balance. And that means we have to embrace the tensions of mind and heart. The tensions of of reason and experience. The tensions of thinking and feeling. What we tend to do is to say how I view it is the right way. Or we will say, okay, this is how I do it, that's how you do it, we'll just sort of get along. I don't think that's God's intent for us. I think he wants each one of us, individually and corporately, to keep engaging our offhand as we continue to develop our dominant hand. You see, we think it's a zero-sum game. If I, if I give more attention to one side, to reason, then that means I, I, I feel less about God. Or if I give more attention to feeling about God, then I, I abandon learning about God. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is giving ourselves wholeheartedly to both parts of it. Because sometimes God wants to speak to us through the scriptures and our minds. And sometimes God wants to speak to us through the promptings of his spirit. I see that in Abraham. Hebrews tells us that when God put his hand on Abraham and said, go from Ur of the Chaldees to the land I'm going to show you, he said he didn't know where he was going. He just had this inner prompting from God and he went. And it feels like the whole thing is just an experience. It's just emotion. But I guarantee you, Abraham had some understanding of who God was for him to act on that prompting. He had to. That's a great story at the end of Luke 24. These two guys, are it's, it's resurrection day. And these two guys are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, <clears throat> trying to figure out what in the world just happened here. And they're talking about it, and all of a sudden Jesus joins them. And he enters into the conversation, and, and the, he starts explaining to them all the things that the scriptures talked about in relating to the resurrection. And they get to the house and they say, here, come in with us. We want to keep learning. We want to keep talking with you. And they sit down. They have no idea it's Jesus until he breaks the bread. And then they see him and he disappears. And when he disappears, they look at each other and go, of course. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures? See the connection? Our hearts burned within us while we learned the scriptures. And while we learned the scriptures, our hearts burned within us. It is that ongoing tension that we need to become disciples of Christ. Someone pointed out to me this week how God sort of designed the scriptures that way. It's a fascinating thing that you have Psalms and Proverbs right next to each other. 
And the book of Psalms is predominantly a book about emotion and feeling and experiencing God. And the book of Proverbs is much more logical and thought-provoking. And the scriptures would be, we would, we would miss something if we only had one or the other. We need them both. We need both of them. But it takes a mindset of us of openness and willingness to let God change us and speak into us. One of my professors in seminary, Reg Johnson, wrote a book, Your Personality and the Spiritual Life. And it's a fascinating study of how the Myers-Briggs personality inventory can connect to how we understand God and experience God in spiritual formation. And he, he takes each of the, the personality types of Myers-Briggs and he, and he writes them, shows how they, he sees characters of the scriptures in those personality types and how, they, how some things that we can do to, to connect our type to deeper spiritual formation. At the end of every chapter, he has the exact same two affirmations, admonitions. At the end of every chapter, he says the exact same thing. He words a little differently, but he makes the same two statements. And the first one is, affirm your gifts. Affirm your gifts. Because what we tend to say is, man, I wish I was like somebody else. I wish I had their gifts. I wish I could see things the way they do. I wish they, I wish I encountered God the way that person encounters God, because I don't really like the way I encounter God. But the second thing he says is deny your self-will. Because the other tendency we have is to think my way is the right way. And in fact, my way is the best way, the only way. And if you don't do it the way I do it, if you don't see God the way I see God, if you, if you don't encounter God the way I do, then something is wrong with you. And the problem with that is that it completely obliterates Jesus' call to humility and to learning and to openness. And maybe God has put people into our lives to help, us, to help make us more balanced. As individuals and as a community. Because we need the tension of both. And we need to, rather than running to an end, we embrace both ends. That we learn everything we possibly can and we keep learning about God. And we use our minds to go deeper and deeper and deeper in understanding God. At the same time, our hearts are continually open to God. And the way His Spirit wants to speak into us and to prompt us and to encourage us. You know, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If you know everything there is to know about God, but you have not love, you have missed it. And then he says, if you know everything, if you experienced all the deepest things of God and you have not love, you've missed it. And we often interpret that as we just need to love more. I don't think that was, that's what Paul is saying. Because scripture says God is love. Jesus is the essence of love. And I think what Paul is saying to us is the focus should not be on learning. The focus should not be on, on experience. The focus should be on Jesus. And we use our learning to become more focused on Jesus. And we use our experiences to become more focused on Jesus. But the focus is always Jesus. 
But so often our focus is something else. And he's calling us to, to live lives of openness and humility. It says, God, however, however you can get through to me, however you can teach me, however you can work in me, I want you to do that. And I'm not going to disregard any way that you might do that, whether it's comfortable or not. Because I want to grow deeper with you. Because the outcome of this, the reason we, we, we focus on Jesus and as we embrace the tensions is because this leads us to life and to rest and to joy. And the very essence of relationship with our Creator and the way in which He created us to live and to be. I don't know if this is still the practice or not, but when I was graduating from high school and we all got our yearbooks, we would pass them around and everyone would sign something in the yearbook. I found a a few examples of that on the internet. These are not my yearbooks, but um, I didn't want you to read what people wrote in my yearbook. But but we'd pass it around and everybody everybody would write in the yearbook. And if you knew someone pretty well, you'd write a personal note. Such a great year having lunch together every day. You know, I love sitting by you in, in third period English. Um, you know, we had some great times together, and maybe you mentioned one of those times. Uh, you know, we just, you know, we, all these personal kinds of things you might write in people's yearbook. But always, there were people that would hand you a yearbook, and you looked at me and think, I hardly even know you. What do you write? I mean, I, went to high, I graduated with like 400 people in my graduating class. I didn't know a lot of the people. And there are people that you sort of knew a little bit, but you don't really have any experiences with them. You don't really know much with them. And you're thinking, what do I write? And what was the common thing that people would write in that circumstance was, you're such a great guy, stay the way you are. And, you know, it's a compliment. Wow, you know, you're really nice, you're really sweet, and, and I wouldn't want you to be anything other than that. And I guess in that sense, it's a good thing. Stay the way you are is a death wish to a follower of Jesus. Something in us wants to say, God, I'm comfortable where I am. Just leave me alone. And God says, no way. Because I want more for your life than you do. I want you to experience deeper, fuller relationship with me than you do. I've got plans for you that you can't even begin to imagine if you'll let me. And the question is, will we let him? Will we use our minds to go deeper with God? And will we use our experiences to go deeper with God as we focus on Christ and let him do his amazing work in us? What does it mean to be a Christian? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. Even as you love your neighbors yourself. We let God give us His grace. We receive His grace to do just that. Holy Father, thank you for the gifts you've given us, for wanting us to keep 
moving forward, growing, knowing more of you, experiencing you, loving you with our hearts, our minds. May it be so for each of us. We ask this through Christ. Amen.